Hello again, and welcome back to No Sleep. I am your host, Shondrea Washington. Glad to have you with us today. So today, we're going to be talking the United States justice system. Are you guys excited about tonight's topic? It's a really good topic. I'm excited for sure. Yeah, I'm excited to see where this goes. Yeah, that's great. So the first thing that I wanted to get to is what comes to mind when you think of the term justice system? I can start. So when I think justice system, I just think of it like it is its most simple definition. It's like giving people justice or what they do uh, deserve or what they don't deserve, you know, based on whatever crimes they're committing or, you know, whatever the case may be. And I know that really ties into our legislature and then how we really, you know, roll out justice in the United States. Okay. What about you, Natiana? Again, when I hear justice system, you know, I think of first and foremost justice, of course, which is supposed to bring penalties, I guess, like people who commit crimes and everything, they're supposed to establish people. Yeah, that's kind of what, what I think of, too, whenever I think of it is I, I originally thought of just the term justice in general, but when I was Googling things for tonight's conversation, you can't even Google justice system without mainly getting criminal justice system as it relates to criminal processes and the treatment of those who have to interact with our courts and our prison systems and jails. But it actually really, I feel, encompasses a lot more in that, such as like the laws that govern us on a day-to-day basis and the things that we have to try not to do just to avoid those systems. And so tonight I just wanted to really get an idea of what our perspectives are of the justice system, like what what do we feel about the current state of justice within our country, whether or not we feel that it's just, whether we feel there are improvements that need to be made, and really what we think that we as millennials could do to, you know, make things better. And so I guess I'll pitch the question of what image comes to mind when you hear about a crime being committed? I can I can go first. Um, I guess it's kind of like a, a very broad picture, too, a very broad image, because, you know, a crime is, you know, so many different things, you know, based on mm-hmm. our current laws. But, you know, when I think of crimes, I'm thinking like something that, Everyone, every human knows this is morally wrong. You know, I'm not talking about, you know, somebody stealing an apple because they're hungry. But I'm, like, Mm -hmm. talking about, like, malicious crimes, uh, heinous assault, you know, rape, murder, all those types of things. Uh, That's Mm -hmm. that's really what comes to mind when, when I hear crime. Yes, same here. When I hear crime and everything, I think of people, you know, who committed heinous crimes, like rape, like murder, stuff like that, too. Yeah, I'm with with you, too. It's definitely the image varies on the type of crime being committed because, like Norvell was saying, 
I'm not thinking about somebody who, like you said, stealing an apple or stealing a loaf of bread so that they can feed their families or do what they have to do to make ends meet. But instead, people who are really out there doing these heinous things and just all these atrocities that happen. So what do you guys think or do you guys think that the United States has a history of fair treatment within the justice system? Or I guess I'll start by asking, what do you think the United States history, or how do you think the United States history of the justice system got started or what its purpose was in the first place? I was about to say, Sandra, like, come on now. You, you know the history <laughs> of our our justice system, you know, like that's kinda like a no brainer. But, you know, I, I do get what you're what you're getting at, but you know, this country was founded um, you know, in a different time and a lot of things were okay then. And mm-hmm. the constitution that was formed does not appeal for US citizens today. And I think mm. that there are a lot of loopholes um, that have been, you know, overlooked for hundreds of years, and uh, a lot of people are paying the price for them today. So I don't think our justice system is sufficient. I think, you know, we kind of just actually called out a big issue with the first question you asked, you know, what comes to mind when we think of crime? And we're thinking about, you know, just black and white crime. Like if I punch somebody in the face, that's assault. If I shoot somebody, you know, on the foot, that's, that's a crime, you know, like that's, those are like, you know, black and white crimes, but there are other crimes that are taking place that does not involve, you know, actually, you know, pulling a trigger or, you know, doing something and causing, you know, direct physical bodily harm. But the, the effect or the impact is the same. Think about, uh, the Flint water crisis, you know, like mm. that's onset issues that those citizens have because of negligence on their leaders uh, or officials part, you know, by not getting those pipes fixed when they knew that there was an issue. Um, I feel like they should be held responsible because there are a lot of people suffering and having a lot of medical issues, which definitely could be considered assault or these uh, white collar crime you know, um, that's happening where people are getting, you know, robbed of everything they own or, you know, uh, all these bills are are being passed, you know, in the medical industry so that these pharmaceutical companies can make these bogus drugs and get rich when Mm -hmm. they're actually not testing them the way they should be and they're hurting people. So I feel like there's, you know, uh, the, the word crime is multifaceted and I think a lot of us overlook you know, the big crime, because it's not, you know, just black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I agree with that. But I also believe, like, this justice system, it is so biased. Like, it makes no sense. Like, I was doing some mm-hmm. research today, you know, and I found that one in 17 white men are more likely to be put in prison, while one in three black men, you know, are likely to be in prison. And it doesn't make absolutely no sense. Like, one in 111 white women are likely to be in prison by mm-hmm. one, and 18 black women are likely to be in prison. You see how different and how far-fetched those numbers are? Like, it's mm-hmm. so biased. Like, 
we can, a white person and a black person can do the same crime, but that black person is going to get way more time than the white person would. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is exactly true. I was reading about that in Michelle Alexander's book, that her book, The New Jim Crow, when she talks about our system of mass incarceration and how there is, you can't explain the disparities in our criminal justice system by saying that black people just commit more crime. Because if you look at right. who sells drugs, you know, like both the communities are getting drugs from people who look like them. Somebody's way more likely to be white and a drug dealer than they or likely to be a white drug dealer or a black drug dealer or whatever community you're a part of. And uh, one statistic that I read said that um, black and Latino men were more likely to be stopped and searched, like five or six times more likely to be stopped and searched for drugs, even though a person, a white person, um, would be twice as likely to actually have drugs on them. (laughs) And so just the fact that the facts are right there, but they want to say that, oh, these people make up such a large portion of our prison systems or a large portion of our arrests because they commit more crimes, they're doing more drugs, they're hurting more people. And like you said, it's just so biased that it just doesn't make any sense for it to continue with the way that it's functioning. And so I brought up the – go ahead, Norvell. (laughs) No, I was going to agree with you. The new Jim Crow is uh, a gem. I feel like everyone should be working on that book, if not already. It calls out, like, blatant statistics and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, inconsistencies in our justice system. Uh, and it mainly focuses on this so-called war on drugs. And it calls out how the laws uh, basically created a racial barrier um, in our justice system. If I got caught me being a black man with, uh, you know, an ounce of crack cocaine and uh, a white man got caught with the powder substance of cocaine, which they were definitely separated uh, from uh, economic standpoint. The powder substance Mm -hmm. is pricier than crack cocaine, which is much cheaper, which was inside of the ghettos or the black communities where they redlined this too. Um, you can get way more time for the same amount of the substance than somebody who had the powder substance and it was designed that way. And that's why you saw so many black and brown people going to jail during the the crack epidemic um, versus, you know, the white people or the other uh, demographics of drug users that were actually providing um, the cocaine to make the crack. So that's, that's, the huge issue right there that's at hand. So New Jim Crow is definitely a great read, and it calls out tons of the inconsistencies in our justice system. And speaking of how, like you were saying, those laws were basically created to show that unfair advantage within the black communities, uh, another chapter in the book was just talking about, and really lots of things that I've read over time, just, trying to understand things that African-Americans have had to experience and endure. But as soon as slavery was over, or even while slavery was happening in in New York, you couldn't, if you were a slave, you couldn't be out 
without like a lantern at certain parts of the day and a, so that you could all they could always know where you were. There were all of these very small things that a person of color would have to make sure that they do just to not be sold into slavery, be lynched, all these things. And then there was the convict leasing. There were the black codes. There were the vagrancy laws, all of these things that they strategically put into place to amass this black prison population so that they could still continue to get labor from them, even though they hadn't committed any actual crime. Someone could just make up a crime or like you whistled at a white woman or anything just to, I don't know, just continue to bring down this population of people or to just continue to keep this population of people subjugated. And that's what our system was founded on. And to see that those things are still so ingrained within our community, because even talking about the drug epidemics, the response that they've had recently to the opioid crisis was much different than what you were talking about with crack cocaine in the 80s and 90s. And that's that's a visible difference. They're not cracking down on white drug users or really I haven't even seen like the pharmaceutical companies who are responsible for creating these products that are so addictive in the first place that get these people addicted and having to need these substances. They're not experiencing any backlash for all of that. They're trying to find ways to help them. They're starting all these new programs, which is great. I'm not mad at the programs. I love programs, you know, but just the response to pretty much the same thing is just so different, and it's anything but just and fair and equitable treatment in my eyes. Yeah, no, it's like... Go ahead. Go ahead, Natiana. I was going to say, like, and if you look at the um, different treatings with these mass shootings, you know, how they treat those um, mm. shooters, you know, they don't just shoot, they don't shoot first and ask questions later, how they've just been doing unarmed black men, you know, and these people are shooting mm-hmm. and killing people, harming people, you know, they taking them in, and then, of course, you know, they want to claim, you know, mental insanity and everything like that, and they're just running with it, and they're going with it, and it's the system. Yeah, just the way we're portrayed in the media just exacerbates the situation. Um, when you see these mass shooters that, you know, are white, they said it's the video games, it's, you know, uh, it's the, the violent television, it's those type mental illness, those types of things. But, you know, you see an innocent black man or an unarmed black man gunned down and they're like, oh, local thug killed by police. Uh, mm-hmm. They start bringing up their criminal records that has nothing to do with this shooting. Those types of things. To just you know, you can see mm-hmm. the way that we're portrayed in the media to try and move the crowd against not really wanting justice for you know an unjust murder, but at the hands of of the police. So it's it's definitely uh, different, and it's it's synonymous with this uh, opioid situation and and how they handle crack epidemic in the eighties. 
Yeah, I definitely agree with the both of you. So next I wanted to get into prison populations and just the prison system in general. What do you think the prison system was created to do? To uh, provide uh, slave labor. Simple. <laughs> Great answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, keep keep black people oppressed, basically. Mhm. And when you think about there, there was this um, term, and I, I guess it's still a big thing, but the school to prison pipeline that has been creating in a lot of our communities how our kids have to be exposed to like police officers and school resource officers at such a young age, and the the offenses that when we were coming up, say we got in a fight in the playground or I don't know, was insubordinate in class, that would just be a write up, you go to the office, they tell your mom, no big deal. Now some of those same things a child can be incarcerated for. And it just blows my mind that they would take all of those efforts to ensure that a child could get incarcerated, but not even a portion of those efforts to create programming that could expose these kids to better opportunities. Because it's almost like by placing them like school resource officers and constantly monitoring those communities that they're just waiting for you to do something wrong. They're expecting you to do something wrong. Because like you said, it's easy to get that labor that they need. It's easy to get those funds per person that they need if they go ahead and lock you up. Even though states could save tons of money by creating all these programs, these, I don't know, like meditative, restorative justice stuff that they've been introducing in some of these schools and places now. But instead of doing that, they want to increase the number of officers in schools and those officers or those increases never happen in the white schools but in a black public school where there's never been a school shooting you'll have metal detectors and armed police officers all around just waiting for something to happen yeah How my middle school is like my middle school is like a, a prison, for real. Like metal detectors, like armed guards, throwing officers, like circling the school all day, every day. Like it was bad. And, you know, it, it kind of makes sense. And it fits into uh, the theme of New Jim Crow because the prison system is ran like a business. It's, most of the prisons are for profit. Mm-hmm. And these large companies, corporations, I've been around for a very long time, are making a lot of money from the labor that's coming out of these prisons. Not because a lot of them were outed um, or were exposed by whistleblowers, especially around that documentary, The 13th. A lot of them have mm-hmm. pulled like, their prison labor contracts. But, you know, the prison system was ran like a business. They were making, you know, jeans for, you know, I think it was the Gap. They were making furniture for larger companies. It was like, you know, and this is like free labor. They're paying these people, mm-hmm. you know, pennies 
you know, for, for hours of work. And it makes sense because it's for profit and the taxpayers are funding, you know, these jails. So it's like we're all paying for these companies to line their pockets. Nobody saying anything because the right people who can, you know, really are in power and can make changes are having their pockets lined as well. It's all about money at the end of the day and oppressing, you know, the people that I guess these these groups of elite feel comfortable oppressing, and that's usually black and brown black and brown people or the, the minorities of this country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like in my high school too. Um, you know, we had the officers, the metal detectors, and everything like that. Like it got so bad. Like I know this is crazy what I'm about to say, but it got so bad. Like people were scared to fight in the school anymore because they knew, you know, they would get locked up. So there's like a church right across the street that people would go. They'll go fight, and then they'll just hurry up and leave, like right after the fight. You know what I'm saying? So they mm-hmm. wouldn't get arrested. You know, they're on school grounds. They're going to get arrested. So it just got so bad that. That's what they had to do, but that's what they needed to do, I guess, go across the street at a church site and then hurry up and leave so they didn't get arrested from that, too, from being on church grounds. But, yeah, so crazy. It was like two or three, you know, officers in my school walking around, like you said, every single day during every period, making sure, you know, nobody's doing what they're not supposed to do or getting in trouble. And then, of course, you know, the first two they're going to call are the police if anything happens. And it's like, mm-hmm. to me, it's a high school, so I don't feel like it's really that serious to really call the police unless, of course, somebody brings a weapon or somebody's really being threatened or harmed. But not just to call a cop on somebody that's in high school, to add them, like you said, and, and to put them into the system so young and just so they can just be a number. It's sad. Yeah, it definitely is. My high school was very similar to that. Like you said, metal detectors everywhere. We had resource officers walking around. And it was crazy there because it was almost like sometimes the resource officers would try to provoke the students just to get a reaction out of them because, I mean, they're there for action. So, I mean, if they knew that it was a student who had anger issues, it seemed like they would taunt them sometimes just to see what they could get out of the kids. And it was almost kind of like some of these videos you see of kids within recent years for very minor offense, just for not moving out of their desk, being slammed on the floor or slammed on a desk. I, I think it was like a little girl that I watched. Yeah, I saw be snatched I saw out that. of her. Yeah, like that's crazy. Oh, that made me so mad. That made me so mad. It's like, dude, you don't have to use that type of force with a little girl. And it's like, even if she was being disobedient, like, that's not the way. She's not a criminal. She's not armed. You know, this is a student, a child. Is that, oh, that made me so mad. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. That, that, that boy. Oh, you're fine. (laughs) Man, and it, just stuff like that worries me for my own child, who isn't criminal-like in any way, shape, or form, but is active and hyper and it just makes me think like what if she's in school one day and she's loud I'm loud she gets it from me she can't help it what if somebody misinterprets her being loud one day and sees fit to handle her like that I'm not gonna know I'm gonna lose my mind then it's gonna be both of us like (laughs) both of us gonna have to be in contact with the system but it's just crazy to think that they have so little regard for the fear and the trauma that they're constantly instilling into these children 
every day by having to see that. Because if you see police officers every day, you're eventually going to think that you're dangerous. Oh, and it looks like we have a caller. But we need to screen first, so <laughs> let me continue the conversation. So, yeah, just the things that they've done to these kids and the way that they have children growing up already with the idea in mind that they're criminals and that they need to be monitored. And yeah, I don't know. They can't a, be kids anymore, it seems like. Like, they, mm-hmm. since they walk outside, they're afraid. You know, they can't, they're afraid to do anything. They're afraid to just go play with any toys because a toy could be misinterpreted as, you know, a gun or anything like that. So it's just, it's crazy, you know. Yes, it is so crazy. So we are going to go to a quick break. And I want to invite in, uh, some callers to call in. If you'd like to get in on discussion about the justice system, the number is 563-999-3660. And we will get back to you. You're listening to the CWR Talk Network, America's voice for causes, issues, and life empowerment. This is the CWR Talk Network. Hashtag One Million Strong. The CWR Talk Network is not just another talk radio network. We are a strong advocate for life empowerment, like empowering a generation that has been grossly misunderstood and disparaged to shatter the misconceptions about them. No Sleep was created to give millennials a platform to express themselves and let the world know who they really are and what they believe, their values, interests, fears, and more. This is a diverse group gender-wise and racially that we are very, very proud of. We invite you to tune in, whether you are a millennial or not, and learn from these outstanding young people. Listen every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern and 7 o'clock p.m. Central for No Sleep, Shattering Millennial Misconceptions. Hi, Mom. Is Claire's birthday party today? Me again, Mom. Where did I put my history book? Hi. Sorry, forgot one last thing. Sometimes it's hard to concentrate. At school, I start looking out the window, and then I forget what I was supposed to be thinking about. I know it seems like I don't care, but I do. It's just difficult for me. Love you, Mom. Bye. Join parents and experts at understood.org, a free online resource about learning and attention issues to help your child thrive. Brought to you by understood.org and the Ad Council. People been saying to your friend, get a different face. someone being bullied online you can be a witness and make a difference by letting the world know it isn't cool and by letting your friend know you care learn more at eyewitnessbullying.org brought to you by the ad council today we decided to walk to school the light counted 15 14 31 i mean 13 we took a left on carroll street 
Danny's smart, but he gets distracted. I realized he forgot his homework. I hope he doesn't have another bad day at school. When you can see learning and attention issues from their side, you can be on their side. That's why there's understood.org, a free resource for the parents of the one in five kids with learning and attention issues. Go from misunderstanding to understood.org. Brought to you by Understood and the Ad Council. One in three adults in America have pre-diabetes, but most don't know it. To let people know it can be reversed before it becomes type 2 diabetes, professional basketball player Julius Randle is doing everything in reverse. I'm only dunking with reverse windmills. I drove the whole way to practice in reverse. I don't recommend it. This move is called the reverse shuffle. I do recommend it. And it took me months to learn how to speak in reverse, like this. <clears throat> Here's 10 almost for diabetes type 2 with living Ben has my mind. In other words, my mom has been living with type 2 diabetes for almost 10 years. So together, we want to say to the 84 million Americans at risk, exercise and healthy eating can help reverse prediabetes. Start by taking a simple one-minute risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. <laughs> Betty can't say that in reverse. Listening to the CWR Talk Network, America's voice for causes, issues, and life empowerment. This is the CWR Talk Network. Hashtag One Million Strong. Hello, we are back, and I want to get to the caller that we have on the line. His name is Mike from Minneapolis, and he called to chime in about our discussion on the United States justice system. Are hey, you there? Mike, you there? <laughs> yes, yeah, I'm here, you guys. How are you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. Doing well. Yeah, I think so. Thanks for taking my call. Oh, no problem. Yeah, if I could just um, – I just wanted to point out the fact that uh, this whole discussion when we talk about police brutality is being framed in a way where it's trying to make it seem as if, for example, like people who get into these altercations with the police had nothing to do in allowing the situation to get to that point in the first place. And what it's causing is it's taking people's personal responsibility and causing people to stop thinking smart instead thinking, quote-unquote, justified and acting a fool. That's the reality of what we see. So take a look at most of these police brutality videos you see. Nine out of ten of them involve somebody resisting arrest. Never fails. You always see that. And why is that important? Because when you resist arrest, you are essentially giving police officers the legal authority to now physically assault you, which is why most people you meet in life have never been assaulted by a cop. Because you either have to be hard-headed or dumb to even allow the situation to escalate to the point where police now have to physically harm you or assault you in order to put you in handcuffs. That's just idiotic. And that's why most people never have these bad situations with cops. It's usually people who are stubborn, who for whatever reason they just they can't listen to authority, or they are, they are – I don't know what it is that would cause them to think that there's any kind of way resisting arrest is going to lead to something benefiting on your end. Because no matter what, at that point, they're either going to beat you up, they're going to tase you, they might shoot you, and you're going to face extended time in jail. 
So there's there's no way you're gonna come, you're gonna win that battle. And so that's why only a dumb person would even put themselves in that position. And I think young people need to be stopped being taught that they're a victim and start thinking more of how can you be smart and not allowing yourself to get into bad situations in the first place where you can now open yourself up to potential problems. Mike, you, you make a great point. You make a great point. And I'm not going to say that you don't, um, but I, I do have a question for you. Do you see that there's any bias uh, from the police and their treatment and black and brown or minority uh, young people, old people, middle-aged people, and uh, white people in, in the United States? It depends on what city you're in, what region you're in, and what's going on in that community. So I'll give you an example of what I mean. If you go to, say, the south side of Chicago, and if you're a police officer operating in that area, what are you dealing with a lot? You're encountering a lot of young black men, usually between the ages of 15 and 24, who are involved in gangs. You're doing a lot of shootings. You're doing a lot of drug dealing. So you're going to have a lot of uh, what we would call difficult encounters with young black men that potentially could be dangerous, especially if guns are involved. Now, if you're, say, you know, in some rural area or suburban area where you don't deal with that type of things, now your whole demeanor as a police officer is different. And in our family that served as cops, both in narcotics and in street patrol, and they'll tell you this, and they're all black, and they can tell you, depending on what area you're in, is going to depend how police's demeanors are, especially if you are in a high-risk area and you're there on a regular basis. That can kind of work with you mentally to the point where you're, you're already going to be on guard when you deal with anybody. And this leads to my other point, which is, as a community, we've got to take responsibility and say, listen, it's not like these police are on guard for no reason. Our communities, a lot of major cities, are very dangerous areas. That's why I brought up the south side of Chicago. Same is true in West Baltimore, North Philadelphia. I mean, I can go on and on. Every major city, they have a certain area within the black community that is a dangerous area, especially at night, where there's a lot of drug dealing, a lot of shooting, a lot of kill, a lot of killing and a lot of dangerous crime happening where police officers know when they go in there, there's a chance they could get killed. Now, when we talk about the issue of white versus black, let's look over a 20-year sample from 1991 to 2011. During that time period, you had just over, it was about 1,200 black people that were killed by police officers. During that same time period, you had about 2,500 white males that were killed by police officers. Now, I will say to you, how many people are even aware of that? But is that is that demographic uh, really outstanding, or is it really out of the question because black people are the minority? Just as you look at the prison population, we're the minority in the United States, but we are most of the prison population. So it makes that's, sense for the majority of point. the United States. Exactly. Like now, the, that's, the that's majority an important of the point, United but now, States. But this is, this is how that argument can be flipped back against you, because I used to make the same argument you're making until I studied the facts for myself. Now, if you're going to bring up the population argument, that actually undercuts our position in what way? Black people are 13% of the U.S. population, one-three. Out of that population, about 6% of them are adult males. That 6% of the population is a, accounts for nearly 50% of murders. They're in the 40% of uh, thefts and aggravated assaults. So if you want to talk about proportion of population, our, our community, especially black males, commit a way out of proportion amount of crimes in America, talking about violent crime. And so when you look at that and you consider 
that we have more frequent encounters with police in volatile situations involving shootings, murders, and aggravated assaults. The fact that the white population that have been killed by cops is more than double that of blacks is actually surprising, according to the logic that most people use when we talk about police brutality, because you think the number should be much higher. If, if, for example, I think it was two years ago, you had the same number of cops killed as black males that were killed by police. That, that flies in the face of what most people think is going on. And so what I'm saying is if you make any argument, you've got to ask yourself, does it come back against you? You know what I'm saying? You've got, you got to look at both sides and see, are, are, are what we're saying credible or does it hold up under scrutiny? And I'm just being honest, it doesn't. Because if we're committing all these crimes, then it kind of weakens our argument of saying, oh, well, look at the prison population. Yeah, I think there's a different level, and Mike, sorry to cut you off here, man. Uh, great points, and we're going to continue talking about this as we review the, the justice system. Um, but great points you provided for us today, man, and we're going to continue discussing this. And uh, thank you for calling into the show. All right, and before I go, I just want to ask you one quick question, just, just since this will be it. You, when you brought up the prison population, what percentage of the black male prison population would you consider to be innocent of the crime they committed? So um, I would say that uh, the that demographic or, or those statistics are based on kind of what Andre and I were talking about earlier, um, New Jim Crow, and how the legislature is really designed uh, to kind of keep black and brown or minority uh, males in jail. Uh, we kind of brought up a great point earlier with um, the crack epidemic in the 80s, how, you know, the same type of drug, um, the same amount of that drug, which crack cocaine was predominantly in the black community, and we know why. It's a cheaper substance to obtain. So it was in the black community in the ghettos versus the white substance. You know, the black community had to get the white, the powder substance from um, more, I want to say, economically exclusive uh, communities to, to, to make the crack. So the same amount of uh, crack or the same amount of cocaine caught on a white person versus caught with a black person is a different amount of time. Somebody can get 20 years or an ounce of uh, crack versus somebody with an ounce of powder will get, you know, two years probation. And that's why you end up with more black people in jail. Are they guilty of the crime? Yes. But that still doesn't account for the way the legislature is designed to keep people in jail. So let's just answer that question. Um, I think Mike brought up some great points. What do you guys think? I mean, I could definitely see where he was arguing from or where he, where, I don't know, where he was coming from. I understand how he could arrive at those conclusions. And, I mean, the justice system and particularly juvenile incarceration is something that, me and my husband like work on on a regular basis, and like like you were saying, Norvell, the the way that things are written, if things are written against you and criminalizing who you are, your activities, and if your and your community is being constantly monitored and surveilled, when are you ever innocent? That's I guess that's what I took away from it is we don't really get the chance to be innocent. And 
I mean, I, I had police in my family. My great-grandfather was the first black chief of police in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. So it's not like I just have, you know, all these horrible views about police officers. But a lot of times when he was talking about how they have to go into these dangerous communities, well, that's where community policing comes in. You shouldn't go to a community that you're afraid to be in, afraid for your life. You, If you aren't from a community where you can talk to those people, where those people know your face, you don't need to be there. And I don't know. Like you said, he brought up some really good points. I don't know that I agree, but, yeah. yeah <laughs> what do you think? I don't Nancy? really agree. No. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I don't really <laughs> agree with what he said with the um, – a lot of black people, you know, that we are not the victims. I mean, I agree that sometimes there have been cases where they have been resisting, but there are a lot of cases we can talk about and look into where there was no resist and they mm-hmm. still were shot or they still was, you know what I'm saying, mistreated or just just abused, like, for no reason, with no resist. So I don't agree with that at all. Yeah, I think there's data on, on both sides for sure. Uh, his point he was making these communities, these dangerous communities. Um, I'm from Detroit, Michigan. Uh, there are some really dangerous parts of Detroit that, you know, I don't, I don't even go to anymore. And I was born and raised here. And, uh, you know, I've been here my entire life until I graduated from high school and I left and went to college. But he brought up the point that these police officers are policing these uh, communities and a lot of these young black men, because Detroit is a black city, it's 75% black, they go into these crime-ridden areas uh, where the housing is dilapidated. Um, they're in need of, of help. So people are doing what they have to do to mm-hmm. survive, which means, you know, crime, selling drugs, those types of things. So you see those types of things in that community. And he said, you're coming across mm-hmm. a lot of young black males that have firearms and those types of things. Well, I was a young black male walking in those communities, and I didn't touch a gun until I was out of college. So mm-hmm. I've been stopped many times by police and, and harassed and just had books on me from school, you know. But because I look like I fit the description or I look like the people in my community, community which I should, I was frisked for no reason. I was stopped for no reason. And, you know, I would, would assume that to be a biased opinion. And that's why a lot of these unarmed black kids get shot because these police officers, and I know this is kind of a strong word, but they're afraid. And I think it's, it's cowardly. Mm-hmm. You know, you shouldn't go into, if you're not cut out for that line of work and you can't keep a cool head and make good conscious decisions. And I'm speaking from perspective of, I don't know, you know, what it feels like. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been shot at before, but I don't know what it feels like to be a police officer and going and, and risking your life every day. And I, and I definitely tip my hat, and I have a lot of respect for the people that police our communities. But if you're going into a situation and you're scared, that's how unarmed black men get shot. Because he may be, mm-hmm. you know, just sitting there. You ask him to, to get his license and registration, and you think he's reaching for a gun because you're scared. He has a cell mm-hmm. phone in his hand, and you think it's a gun because you're scared. And those are the issues that I think we need to address is that, you know, it's a it's a fair thing, just like you said. And you shouldn't be a police officer if you're scared. I think that should be like you know one of the first things that they address, you know, in, in police academy. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And then going back to the this idea of the dangerous community, those communities didn't get dangerous on their own. 
you brought up the point of redlining earlier. Like, it's not like all black people in the area got together and was like, we want to go build this dangerous area for us. We want to live in crime. We want to, we want our kids to not be able to go and play outside because they might lose their lives tonight. It, nobody made a decision for that to happen. That wasn't a collective idea that a community had. People were pushed into these areas. They don't have resources. They don't have opportunities. And youth unemployment and unemployment for black people in most areas are double that than the white population. And I don't know. It's just so many factors going into, first of all, what makes a criminal and who gets to be a criminal. Just looking at, like you were saying, the the, the drugs, the drug issue. White people were found to have drugs twice as more as black and Latino men. However, black and Latino men were the ones getting arrested for it and were the ones being stopped and frisked for it. And it's just so much that just goes into the constant bias where it's only so much responsibility that you can place on an individual or on a community. Because if you get pulled over by the police and you're scared because you've seen all these people get killed by the police, you might be afraid to take your hands off of the steering wheel. Is that resisting? Is it, how is a, If you're in fear for your life, if you're activating from a place of terror, you can't always think logically and rationally about what your next move should be. And in my opinion, police should be trained to notice those things to, and de-escalation tactics and just being able to recognize when a person is going through something, which is where that community policing comes into, into effect. You need to know your community and not, like you said, be afraid of them. As a police officer, like you said, you shouldn't be going into that line of business if you're operating from a place of fear. Yeah. Is there anything uh, else? Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just agreeing with you, Sandra. Go ahead. I was just going to ask, was there anything else from from Mike that you all wanted to discuss? (laughs) I wanted to discuss this uh, or, or chime in on this resistant arrest thing. Like, so I'm, I'm no dummy. I'm not going to fight the police. I'm not gonna, you know, resist arrest on purpose, but you know, I know that I have rights. So, right. um, I am going to exercise my rights just like someone else may exercise their rights. Um, I think it's important for everyone to be able to do that, but I think, as a black man, my rights may not be acknowledged um, if I was to get stopped for no reason versus, you know, somebody else who may be white, you know, um, or a different ethnicity that may not be as threatening to a police officer. And I think, you know, uh, it's like we were discussing earlier, it's, it's operating from uh, a state of fear. And um, that's something that we need to address as a community. I think there's a lot of issues in our justice system, and I think it's gone on for a long time. There are some, there are some crime-ridden neighborhoods that I wish 
didn't exist in my community. But like you said, Sandra, it's it's cause and effect. They didn't get that way on their own. Mm-hmm. It's been years and years of oppression. And, you know, it's it's bred some stupidity in, in our communities, you know. But, again, it's cause and effect. I don't think people want to sell drugs for a living. I don't think they want to live their lives getting shot at and, you know, not being able to, mm-hmm. you know, walk down the street, you know, and, and have peace of mind. I think it's just survival mode. And a lot of people can't relate to that. And they end up forming these opinions that, you know, our problems are all our own. And that's not the case. You know, 50, 60 years ago, we were through fifths of a man. And I think people mm-hmm. forget that. Yeah, I definitely agree that that tends to be something that gets overlooked a lot. And it shouldn't. <laughs> I mean, like we said, this is this stems from a history of neglect in those communities, lack of opportunities, you know. And so and so to have to constantly, you know, hear narratives about how it's on the responsibility of the people who are being monitored at all times. I don't know. And then just this idea of over-policing communities where you have an abundance of cops, like I said earlier, just looking for people to to commit a crime or just to be out of line. And I don't know in regards to not resisting, I don't know a single black parent who has taught their kids not to respect the police or that, I don't know, even the victim mentality in in regards to how police treat people. I've only seen the aspect of keep your hands where they can see you, you know, do as they say, don't argue with them. It's this constant thing that black parents have to or constant conversation that black parents have to have with their children just so that they can help protect them when they're not around them and if I'm not mistaken I think we have Mike back on yep Mike is back on Uh, he wants to give us a couple couple, uh, counterpoints Uh, Mike can you hear us yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yep, yep. Yeah, uh, Mike, yeah, go ahead and give us your counterpoints. We got a couple minutes here before we need to wrap up the show. So the floor is yours. Okay. Yeah, no problem. Um, so one of the ladies, uh, forgive me, I don't know what your name was, but you mentioned how people, like from a black perspective, people have a right to be afraid, or they're afraid because they're scared of what they've seen from other situations where black people were assaulted by cops and that may cause them to, you know, maybe like you, in your words, not take their hands off the steering wheel or something like that. And it's interesting how just before that, you both were saying how uh, cops shouldn't be afraid. And it seems to be you, you, you're kind of, you, you're not seeing how the logic that you put to one side goes back on yourself on your, on your other point. Because if you're saying that black people are, are can act fearful due to what they've seen cops do to other people, then isn't rational to say, well, human nature would say, you think that maybe the cops are afraid because they've been in situations where black people have shot at them 
or they have fellow police officers that have been gunned down by a black person, and that maybe that's a reason why they're afraid. The same way you would say, from your perspective, you have a reason to be as fearful as well because of what you've seen it done to black people by police officers. So, I mean, wouldn't you say that goes both ways? I actually wouldn't I... say that that goes both ways <laughs> because as a <laughs> police so, officer, so what's worse, that's getting your shot job. at or, and getting killed. But I'm saying, what's 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 but what still but more fear than they're, but they're well, trained. They underwent they're training. They, they knew what came with the job. And so a okay, black so I was in the military and, and I was in the army. Walking down. Mm-hmm. Hold on, but I'm saying second, even Hold if you've been second, trained Mike. to go to fight. You, Mike, still, on one second. I want to give Sandra a chance to get her. I want to give Sandra a chance to get her point oh, out. No, kind of cut her off a little bit there. Okay. Well, let let me chime in a little bit. I'm going to say just on your first point about, you know, somebody, a civilian. Uh, having the right to be afraid versus a police officer. Well, let's just think of it in the simplest, simplest form. Every police officer has a gun on them, correct? Yes. I think we can all agree on that. Police officers are giving firearms. That's, that's standard. They always have it on them to protect themselves. All civilians do not have firearms on them. If they do have a firearm on them, it's supposed to be lawfully carried. So if a police officer goes into a situation with a black person because of something that they may have seen or something may happen to somebody else on the force, thinking that this person has a gun on them, then they're operating from a state of fear that they shouldn't be. That's the not the rule. That's the exception. The exception is that somebody has an illegal firearm on them versus the rule being that somebody should not have an illegal firearm on them. And if they do have a firearm on them, which I do carry legally, I should not be fearing for my life. And it's okay for me to be afraid because I've seen unarmed black men be shot down for no apparent reason because the right. officer was afraid. So if an officer so so are are there black gun, criminals with guns who shoot people and shoot cops on the streets, or does that not exist either? There's all types of criminals that have guns. It's so not then just that's black. my point. So now so let's let's just use your logic. So do does do do all cops gun down and shoot or assault black people on a regular basis? No. Okay, so exactly. So the same is true when it comes to black people. Not all black people are walking around with guns and committing crimes, but there are black people that do do that. And unfortunately, depending on what neighborhood you're in, like if, like I said, if you live in Chicago and you're pointing Detroit, and you said it yourself just a little while ago, there are dangerous cities in Detroit that you yourself will even go into. Then that means there are there is a criminal element that does carry guns that aren't afraid to shoot at a cop. And would kill a cop in a heartbeat. That's a fact. And I, so you can't pretend exactly. that there's no. So to, you're almost trying to make it seem I'm like pretending. These, these cops have no reason to be concerned for their life. Like well, they're just being racist, and you're ignoring no, no, the no. fact that the track record. Like I'll give it to you this way. It's my last thing to say. This like when I got my first job, my dad told me this. this is something that my dad always taught me. He said, when you go in there, you need to work in a way to reflect good on your own people, so that the next black person that applies to that job will have a better chance of getting the job. That's a mentality that black people used to have. I don't know what happened now. But when you when you then turn around and say, when you were being, you know, pulled over and being frisked, instead of thinking to yourself, oh, it's just because these cops are racist, or maybe maybe it might be because there's a bunch of other black people out here that are committing crimes and doing all these things that are causing people to be suspicious in the first place. And maybe those well, people why are aren't thinking they of suspicious of white trying people? to do <laughs> Well, it depends where you're White at. people commit crimes, like I said, too. I, 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 I have a friend who's a police officer in Boston, and they have that issue there because in, in inner cities in Boston, you have 
poor white people that do commit crimes, get involved in gangs, and do similar activities. And there is the same thing happens there. There's like you can go online right now. There's countless videos of cops beating up white people. There's a video that just came out last week of a cop who pulled over an old white lady. She resisted arrest. He yanked her out of her car, threw her to the ground, kneed her in the back of the head, and then tasered her. This just came out like a week ago. So anytime people resist arrest, cops will do whatever. This happens to everyone. You're making it seem like it's just black people. Anyone who no. resists arrest, you put yourself in that position. Dude, I already told you the numbers, that there's been way more white people killed by cops than blacks. It's just that you're not aware of it, number one, maybe because you don't look into it. Second point, it's not brought up by the oh, media that okay. often. The media only talks okay. about when a black person gets either shot or assaulted. Like, I'll ask you this. How many how many videos My or things you've seen of a white person getting assaulted by a cop ever? I mean, how many of you have looked at or do you Mike, we're running short on time. We're, we're running short on time. I'm um, just saying, sir. I understand that you, you, you want to be. You want to only look at your perspective. I'm saying sometimes you got to look at things from other perspectives. You know, cause you to see your own perspective differently. Like I used to think the way you do, and then I took the time to try to see Mike, things I gotta catch from you other off, perspectives buddy. and uh, realize I hate to. It's, it's I hate not, to be rude, but you I told you that we had a couple thing. minutes. So I'm gonna cut you off. Um, thank you for your comments. We appreciate it, but <laughs> we only have uh, one hour of time for this show. Um, Mike's very passionate. Um, we all can hear that, you know. Um, and it sounds like he wants to kind of like really get his point across. So we're short on time. Uh, it's been a very uh, intense show. Uh, Mike has some some great yes, uh, comments has. and whatnot, but um, I think we've had some some very good uh, comments as well. But uh, we've lost track of time, and I think it's it's time for us to wrap up. Um, I wanted to give the floor to Natiana. Uh, she's been doing some work on Twitter. And have some uh, shout outs for us to uh, shout some people out for uh, using our hashtag on Twitter. So, uh, Natiana, you have the floor. So, yes, every Wednesday, use the hashtag No Sleep Wednesdays and you will get a shout out. So, I want to shout out Young Rich MKE. He is a rapper from Milwaukee. And you can follow him on all platforms Twitter, Instagram. And you can listen to his music on Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon, and SoundCloud. That is Young Rich MKE. That's all we have for all today. Right. And <laughs> well, you guys, <laughs> it's been fun. It's been intense. And um, I guess we will talk to you all next week. <laughs> Enjoy your we'll evenings do. and the rest of your weeks. <laughs> you do the same. Right. See you.